Let me just uh, transition us now into uh, a message, which is going to be a short one this morning from, uh, from, from the Bible, from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. We're in our series uh, called Before All Things, which is really about how we put God's purposes above everything else. This morning is part four-ish in the series, and it's, uh, the title of today's message is How to Respond to the call of God, how to respond to the call of God. And we are going to be uh, looking briefly at a a figure in the Bible by the name of Abraham. Have any of you heard of Abraham? Okay, Father Abraham had many. Here we go. No, we're not doing the song this morning. We broke out Zacchaeus was a wee little man last week, and we're not doing the right arm, left arm. That song, people keep adding verses to that song, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, head up, head down. You know, jumping jacks. My son has like 13 add-on verses at the end of it. But um, he is a central figure to Christianity. is a central figure to Islam. He's a central figure to Judaism. Uh, much has been written about Father Abraham. Here's where I'm going to need uh, to rely on your trust this morning. We knew with as many different special things we had planned today that the time that I would be allotted to teach today would be shorter than usual. And those of you that have been with me know I like to take us through a process as we study the Bible. We try and dig down deep first, and I try and do a lot of explaining about what's going on in the passage. And the last thing that we do to wrap it all up is we apply it. In other words, what does it mean to me? I need you to trust me that even though I don't have time in this setting today to drill down deep and do all of the explaining, I need you to trust me that if you'll put this passage through the same rigors, that you'll come out with the same application that I have today. If for any reason you're uneasy about that, you can, that's why we give you notes. You can go back and check it out for yourself. But this morning, we're going to read the passage, and we're going to go pretty quickly to applying and what it means to us. But I just need you to trust me. I didn't skip that step when I prepared this. I didn't skip that step when I prayed about it. I went through it, and I think that it'll stand up to your rigorous studies as well. So basically, we're going to jump into this passage, and we're going to go right to What does this mean to me today? So here's the passage. We're going to go from Hebrews chapter 11. It's interesting. Abraham was an Old Testament guy. He lived in that time period. But yet he was so important to the Jewish people. His example and his life was preserved so well in both written and oral history that even till we get to the time of the New Testament and the writer of Hebrews, we're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews, lots of interesting theories out there, but the Hebrews doesn't have a self-identified author inside, so... The writer of Hebrews thinks so clearly uh, and so vividly about Abraham that he includes him in Hebrews chapter 11, which also, Hebrews chapter 11 kind of has a nickname. Anybody know what it is? The Faith Hall of Fame, okay? You have all these different people singled out in Hebrews, and it says, by faith, this man or this woman did such and such or so and so throughout history. So Abraham is right near the top of the list. And Hebrews chapter 11 in the Faith Hall of Fame. And so we have a short summary of what the Jewish people recognized was so remarkable about Abraham. Of his entire life, they distill it down into just a couple sentences. And this is why they held him up as such an important example to follow. Let's read. I'll read it to you. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him. Now we could stop right there and have a good message. He obeyed. When God called him, may that be the testimony of my life. May that be what Chase and Isaiah, my two boys, will say about their dad later on in life. I, he was this and he was that. He wasn't very hairy or with any of those other things. But I know my dad obeyed God when God talked to him. He obeyed God when God called him to leave home 
and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Typical man. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now really, this understanding this passage would be better if we answered another question first in an entire study. And there's a question that we have to kind of really glaze over this morning, but it's one of the key questions that all Christians who try and grow in their relationship with God ask, and it's this question. How do I know when God is calling me specifically to do something? How do I know I've heard from God? That's a very important question um, that I've taught on before here. I've taught series on this before. I don't have time to talk about that this morning. So I realize when I want to talk to you about how to respond to God's call, I'm making a huge assumption. I'm assuming you know when God's called you. So I just want to answer that very briefly And then we'll get into applying to what to do. So there's two parts of this whole equation. Knowing that God has called me, and then what do I do after he's called me? What do I mean by the call of God? Well, what I really mean, I'm going to do the best I can use to use just regular vocabulary. The call of God means when God calls you specifically. When God addresses you specifically. That's different than God speaking to all of us generally. Does that make sense? In other words, God, you can categorize his communication to people in two giant buckets. It's either something that's general, which means it's for everybody. Or it's specific, which means it's for one group of people, but not another group. Or something specific that God's asking not everybody to do, but you or me specifically to do. So if that word, the call of God, trips you up, think of it this way. It is a call to action. So what do we mean by the call of God? Any time where you recognize God Almighty is specifically calling you personally to some type of action. Well, how do I know that? How do I recognize the voice of God? There's another book right there. Here's the quickest way I can answer it. God speaks to us in different ways, but kind of what we're talking about here is God can often speak to us and it seems like a recurring thought. It seems like a clear impression that you recognize is distinct from and different from your normal self-talk. And it's not entirely unwelcome, although it may be uncomfortable. But you recognize it. It persists. In other words, it it keeps coming back stronger and stronger and stronger. It aligns with God's word. In other words, the voice of God is not telling you to leave your spouse and go chase that more attractive person you just saw. That's not God speaking to you. That's your flesh acting on that. But it's usually a recurring thought, a recurring impression, a strong, compelling feeling that you recognize is coming from something other than just you. It's coming from God. So putting it all together, what Abraham experienced is something I would imagine everybody in this room 
at some point in life could say, at least there was a moment where you were pretty sure God was specifically calling you personally to some kind of action, and it came in the form of a recurring thought, a strong impression, a strong compelling feeling to do something that lined up with God's word, that persisted and kept coming back to you over and over again, and sometimes was even confirmed. You were even nudged forward by yet some other circumstance that said, hmm, maybe I should be here right now at this time. Maybe this really is God speaking to me. The Bible doesn't say you have to be mature or intelligent or wise or well-read to hear from God. It does say we need a listening ear and an obedient heart. That's all it takes. Hearing from God is not something reserved for just the smartest among us and the wisest sage in the room. If you read from the Bible from cover to cover, you'll see how he called to all kinds of people. Somebody as little as little boy Samuel, who, who hadn't even ever heard the word of the Lord. And there's this cool story in the Bible about how God called him by name. And he woke up every night when he'd hear this, he heard this name being called. And he got it wrong every time. He kept going to the guy who was taking care of him, Eli. He said, Eli, I heard you call me. I didn't call you. But you see, God kept calling him because he saw this little boy was trying to listen. And even though he didn't get it right the first time, he kept calling to him. You also see that God tries to call to all kinds of other people. Somebody as wealthy as David or Solomon. He called to Abraham. He called to many different people. But what separates them from a lot of us is how we respond to it. In these verses, I see four things that happened when God called that Abraham shows us. And I want to share that with you this morning. I'm going to assume that God has called you at some point. He has spoken to you specifically about something he wanted you to do. He was calling you to some kind of an action in your life. How have you responded to those moments and how should you respond to those moments? A couple things here. Big idea is this. How do I know it's God? God always calls us in the best possible direction. When God asks you, challenges you, instructs you to do something, you have to settle in your heart that his character is not to call you to something that will be for your detriment or for your worst or to punish you. He's not asking you to do something to prove anything. When God calls you, when he challenges you, he sees something you don't usually see and it's for your best, but many times the call of God will seem uncomfortable. It will seem unnatural. It will seem risky. It may seem unwise in the natural. Look at what he called Abraham to do. Do you understand this? Leave everything you have. Go back to Genesis 12 and read it. Leave your father's family, leave the land, leave your possessions, pack it all up, and move everything. No problem, God, I'll do it. I love you. Where do you want me to go? Don't worry about that. I'll show you. Those of you that are parents, if your child came to you and said, you know what, I've got this great idea, I'm going to move out. And you say, well, before we celebrate, where are you going? Eh, I don't know. I'm just going to find it. There's a name for people like that. We used to call them hippies. Now they call them millennials. I don't know what they call them. You know, everywhere. I'm just kidding. But no, seriously, we would call that reckless. We read the Bible. We have the benefit of knowing how it panned out. It seemed absolutely ridiculous. But watch what Abraham did. He trusted God enough to know, I don't need God to show me where I'm going. I trust him enough that it's going to be better. So when God calls you, dot, 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 here's four things. I'll give them to you all at once, and then I'll briefly apply each one, okay? 
So in your notes, if you want to fill these in, when God calls you, number one, the wise choice is to obey. It is not the only option you have. I will say of the four options that you have, which are really only two, it is the wise option. Not even the wisest. It is the wise option. When you feel God is acting, When you even think, you're kind of sure that God is calling you to some kind of action, the wise choice is to obey. All the Bible tells us is that Abraham went. Doesn't say he debated. Doesn't say he went for advice. Doesn't say he slept on it. Doesn't say he flipped a coin. Doesn't say he put it to a family vote. Doesn't say he crunched the spreadsheet. Says he went. Number two, when God calls you, risk is always involved. Risk is always involved. Pastor, it's no risk to follow God. Let's talk about your journey. (laughs) Sure, there's risk. We'll talk about it in a second. Number three, when God calls you, others are affected by your response. Isn't it interesting that The Bible makes sure we see that not only did Abraham's choice affect him individually, it set an example for his son and his grandson who were also impacted by his choices. Your willingness to obey or to disobey the call of God doesn't only impact you, there's a chain reaction of how it affects other people. And number four, when God calls you, he always has your best in mind. He has your best in mind. He doesn't call you to worse. He calls you to the best. Back to number one. When God calls you, the wise choice is to obey. Verse eight says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he called him. There's four options you have when you feel like God's asking you to do something. You can obey, right? You can delay, You can go part way, or you can disobey. Those are the four things. What do I mean by obey? Obedience really means that you recognize your will needs to be submitted to some higher authority. Classic example. There's a couple, and there's very few relationships in life that are defined by obedience. You have some of the more obvious ones. You have child to a parent. What obedience means is whatever my will is, my son's proper response to that is to submit what he wants to what dad wants and bring them into immediate alignment. Son, go clean your room. His proper response is yes, sir, and he goes and cleans his room the right way, right away. We obey the laws of our land, which means we recognize that what the law says is elevated higher in authority than what I feel is right. Which is why everybody in this room says, regardless of how fast I think I should travel, I submit that to the laws of the land, right? We all do. Well, we don't all do that. Okay, Jesus help us. There's all kinds of other relationships bound by obedience. Most of us work for, not all of us, some of us are at the top of the chain in, in our business, but a lot of us work for somebody else. 
We work for a company that has policies and leaders that have rules about how work is, and we recognize that we're to obey those policies. That's kind of how the whole thing holds together. Whatever time they say we, sh- we should arrive and how we're supposed to do our job, that exceeds us in authority, and we obey that. We submit how we think we should do our job. We align ourselves with what the policies are, and Christianity is no different. You see, part of what we bring to God in salvation is we accept grace, we confess resurrection, but we also say, you're the Lord. What we're saying is, I want to be in relationship with you, and in so doing, I acknowledge that what you want trumps what I want. I will obey you, which means whatever it is that you want, that becomes what I will do, how I live that out. That's what obedience looks like. But if you read through the Bible... God called to people, and some people responded right away. We have a statement in our home that we want Chase to say all the time. I will listen and obey. I will listen right away. Not on your time. But some of us, we don't obey. We delay. That's where I say to Chase, go clean your room. And he says, well, when I'm done watching this show, we make a commitment to obey, but it's not really obedience. It's us putting our control back in the situation and say, but I will do it at my own time. That's called delayed obedience. And the Bible shows us very clearly that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're not exercising lordship or submitting your will to another. You're fighting back and pushing back at the other by saying, I'm not going to give in to your terms. I'm going to go back and renegotiate this and do it on my terms. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Some people obey, some people delay, some people go part way. God asks us to do something, and it's a little uncomfortable. He asks us to go knock on the door of the apartment next to us and introduce ourselves to our neighbor, and we say, well, that's, I don't really want to do that. Maybe I'll just write a note and slip it under their door. He's challenging me to to say this or do this, and that's too extreme for me, so I'll just come up with something that's a little less extreme, and I'll go part way. Go read 1 Samuel 15 and understand that partial obedience is still disobedience, because you know what that is? That's you going and taking the original command, you put it in your little Microsoft Word document, and you start editing the original command, and you renegotiate it to something more comfortable for you. That's still disobedience. Then there's people who just, when they hear the call of God, they just outright ignore it. Good old Jonah, right? Go to Nineveh and preach. He gets in a boat, goes the opposite direction. Probably, if we were honest, all of us have done all of those at least once. But can I tell you, disobedience is not the pathway any of us want to follow. Disobedience is the thing that gets in between us and God. gets in our ability to hear. It blocks the flow of his blessings and his communication. It lands us in trouble. So without digging any deeper in that this morning, if you today are hearing God speak to you something, can I encourage you, the wise choice is to obey. All other choices, whether it's going part way or saying, I'll do it, but when I get around to it, that's disobedience. Here's my question to you. What has God been challenging you to obey that you've been putting off? What are the things you know you should be doing that you're not? What are the things you know in your heart you shouldn't be doing that you are? And what would it look like? And what would it take for you to say, today that changes? Can I tell you what you'll receive the moment it changes? Peace. Your worship will flow freely. 
the satisfaction of walking in right relationship with God. When he speaks to our hearts, the wise choice is to obey. Number two, when, you, when the call of God comes, risk is always involved. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but let me say it this way. There are two risks when God asks you to do something. You're going to take one or two, one or the other of them. There is the risk of what happens if I obey God and I act on this thing that I'm not even maybe 100% sure he's telling me to do, but I just think I should do. There's the risk of following God. There's another risk. There's a risk of not following God. There's a risk of moving forward. There's a risk of staying put. There's a risk of acting in faith, and there's a risk of acting in doubt. You get to decide which of those two limbs you put yourself out on. There was huge risk for Abraham, not in heaven, but in his heart. What if he heard wrong? What if he quit his job and relocated and he gets into this new job and it's not everything that he thought that it would be? Then what? What if he gave this really big offering he felt like God wanted him to do and then everything in his personal life fell apart and his family looked at him and said, what have you done with our finances? What if God asked you to move on from your job and take a new one and you're saying, but I have to step backwards and pay. That doesn't make sense. I've done my due diligence. I've tried to kick all the tires and yet I still feel like God's asking me to make this move, but I just don't know exactly what's on the other side. If, he, if God could just download me the blueprint, steps 1 through 39 of how this is all going to pan out, then I'd feel much more comfortable about moving forward and then you also would need no faith. It just boils down to this. Who do you think God is? I say this to spouses who come to me in marital counseling all the time. A lot of times I'll say, well, we're just arguing, and, and, and there's these accusations about the other one's character. He must really hate me because he says this, and I know he leaves the seat up just to annoy me, and I know he won't put his socks away because he knows it drives me nuts. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think your spouse is? Do you think they're the type of person who gets up in the morning, and the first thought they have when they open their eyes is, Lord, help me know how I can torment my husband today. I've run out of ideas and I need a good one. Thank you. And then they go about doing it. Is that who you think they are? Well, of course not. I don't think they're that way. Can you give them the benefit of the doubt? Who do you think God is? When you really feel like he's asking you to make that transition, to forgive that person, to break off that relationship, to start a new relationship, to redo the budget, to hold off on saying something you really want to say or to step up and say something that's long overdue and you feel like God's asking you to take that risk, do you really think he's doing it to torment you? If so, you'll live in doubt your whole life. You'll constantly be hanging still and going nowhere. But that's also a risk. The risk is you miss out on God's best. Back in the 70s and 80s, it seemed reckless for a whole bunch of people who are attending Trinity Assembly of God to put their houses up as collateral so that Trinity could spend $150,000 to buy a piece of land at 2122 West Joppa Road and maybe build a church there. It seemed reckless. You talk about risk. What if that money didn't get paid back? What if the land fell through? But because that group of, of several dozen people did something that seemed completely risky and completely reckless... That church grew into a powerful planting church that six years ago said, let's plant a campus over in Perry Hall. And on some Sundays a year in, it was down to about 20 people. But it's grown today to be an influence of several hundred people. And you go back 30 or 40 years and you have some people who probably didn't even see this in their mind's eye at that time. But you and I are the beneficiaries of somebody else long ago taking a godly risk 
rather than standing still and saying, now's just not a good time. I am a beneficiary of that. I have my dream job. I have my dream job because of somebody else taking a risk for God. So who am I to say, I want to break that chain right now and I'm unwilling to take a risk because, you know, what if the air conditioning in my car breaks or what if, you know, what if the dryer breaks? How am I going to listen? I'm relaxed. God's got it. God's got it. All I know is I don't want to let a dryer or air conditioning in my car keep me from experiencing God's best. That's a little thing. I want to experience it. So whenever God calls you, there is a risk. There's a risk of going into the unknown with God or the risk of staying in the known with you and missing out on God's best. Number three, others are affected by your response when God calls. I had a really good story. I don't have time to share. I'll use it next week. Abraham's decision to follow God didn't just affect him. It set a legacy for his son and his grandson. It says they inherited the same promise. You know how Isaac and Jacob learned to walk by faith? They watched Abraham. You are the best Christian somebody knows. And whether you know it or not, they watch you. I make so many decisions in my life, not out of paranoia of people watching me, but out of an awareness that I walk every step of my day on a mission to bring the light into dark places. I've shared with you about people I'm trying to reach out to at the grocery store of all places. You know, Jake from Steak Farm, my cashier. And two weeks ago, I'm pretty fastidious when I go to the grocery store. I, you know, Kendra tells me what we need and then I figure out how to pay for it and I, and I have like the whole budget worked out. And I do it, I'm a nerd. I do a running tally of what's in the grocery cart. You go to the grocery store when you're hungry, you spend a lot more money, Right? So I go with the list, and I add it up as we go. So I know when I get to the counter that I'm inside the budget. Two weeks ago, I'm checking out. We've just started this ketogenic diet thing. Lord, help me. Um, it's a lot of meat and not a lot else. But uh, we're struggling through that. And um, so we had to replace the pantry. So I had to get a lot of lunch meat and cheese and whatnot. And I had figured it all out. I knew exactly what it was supposed to be. And, you know, do you have your bonus card? Yes, Jake, I have my bonus card. And we're talking a little bit. And the number was much lower than I thought by like $7. I'm like, man, I'm winning. I'm winning today. And, and, and then he prints out the receipt. And I go outside. I was like, man, how did I mess that up? And I'm going through. And I'm through the door. And I'm looking at my receipt. And I recognize there was one of the package of the good lunch meat that he didn't charge me for. So there's this one impulse. It's like maybe God's trying to bless me this week with $7. <laughs> That was not God speaking to me. I had this overwhelming feeling like I need to go back inside and make sure I've paid for the buffalo chicken lunch meat. And I'm having this conversation with God. Well, you know, the time, you know my time today, and I could get it next time. And he's just like, is, <laughs> he said, is your testimony to Jake worth $7 of lunch meat? Went back inside. <laughs> Went to the customer care center, and I said, I ended up taking some lunch meat that you didn't charge me for and I want to pay for it. And they're like, okay. I mean, I didn't get a prize. They didn't give it to me. They took my money happily. And the lady at the end just says, thanks for being honest. And I just said, you know, um, I just really feel like my reputation is not worth one pound of lunch meat. She said, wow, that's, that's, that's interesting. Jake didn't get saved as a result of that. Uh, the lesson that I learned, though, is don't check the receipt. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> What I recognize is that I've been praying 
that God would use me when I leave here to carry out his assignment in unplanned and unexpected ways in the community. My assignment is to be a light in the dark place, to join God's search for lost people. How can I do that if I cut corners along the way when God calls me? If he can't trust me with lunch meat? Others are affected by the choices that we make. I'm not saying we need to be living in paranoid by what other people think, but it's important to be aware that you might be the best example of Christ to somebody. My boys see me all the time. They see me at my worst. I've had to at times apologize to them for losing it. That is humiliating. But they need to know that daddy loves Jesus, and when daddy messes up, Daddy's going to be honest about it because I want those boys someday, if they speak unkindly to their wives, I want them to repent and I want them to apologize. Other people are affected by the lives that we live. Abraham got it and it sowed seeds of godly behavior in his son and in his grandson. May you and I be faithful when we hear God calling us to act in simple things, whether it's just to say, I'm sorry. Or it's just to stop and to be kind where there is no obligation for you to be kind. May we be aware of the impact it has on other people who look to us as we establish healthy patterns in their lives. And number four, when God calls you, he has your best in mind. I love verse 10. It says, Abraham confidently looked forward because he hoped to someday see what God was building for him. Can I tell you? When it comes to my finances and I sit down and I consider the dollar amount that, you know, we get that little statement from the church every year, what Kendra and I give. Here's my summary statement. Every year I look at that number and I can honestly say I don't miss any of it. I don't go back over our life and say, oh, I remember when I had this job and made X or we lived in that house or this place. I don't look back over my shoulder and say, oh, I'm looking backwards at what I gave up to get to this point. No, 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 no. I look confidently ahead to God's best. And friends, you can go through your life keeping track of everything you've given up for the kingdom of God and run yourself a long list. Can I just give you some advice here? God keeps good track of those things so you don't have to. He takes good track of those things. Whatever you give up or you give over to God, even the good things, friend, you'll always come out better in the exchange. You will always come out better. In the exchange, God calls us to our best, not our worst. There's a young man here at Echo who shared his story with us for advance. He really gets this. Just before we close, I want you to listen into Adam's story. They're going to put a video up here. It's about three minutes long. Then I'll come back and close. And as that video plays, can Keith and the worship team, can you come and join me? Check out the screen, uh, Adam's story.
so thankful for what God's done in Adam's life. He's a, he's a close personal friend. I had the privilege of that conversation he was talking about. He felt God drawing him. He just had a lot of questions, and we sat at Mission Barbecue uh, and talked through those questions. And I remember at the very end of the conversation, um, I just said, well, man, what are you thinking today? Are you ready to ask Jesus in your heart? He goes like this, let's do it, just like that. Got up, threw his trash away. We walked right outside the door. He felt God calling him. And he didn't know all the answers on what was on the other side of making Jesus his Lord and Savior. He didn't know what was on the other side of becoming a Christian. He didn't know if he was going to have to start wearing suits or if he was going to have, you know, like he, he didn't know what it looked like. All he recognizes, God is calling me to something that I think is so much better than the life that I have right now, and I'm going to give in to that. And God's doing amazing things in Adam's life, the same kind of things he wants to do in your life and in mine. Let me pray over you as we get ready to close our service. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment? As you do, I want to invite our prayer team to come to their places. Let me ask you a question. What do you feel like God is calling you to today? Is it to start doing something that you're not doing or not doing to the degree that God's challenging you to do? Is it to maybe stop something or cut something out or change something that's in existence in your life? Can I encourage you to be very honest with God right now about where you're at? And can I, again, encourage you Would you choose today, right now, to obey? Will you choose to act on what it is that God's challenging you to do? It may be uncomfortable. It may feel unnatural. But if you know that you know that you know that this is God, friends, you have have everything to gain by just submitting your will to His today. I also want to give an opportunity for those here this morning, those listening to our podcast, those watching online, to begin a relationship with Jesus, to become a Christian, to be converted, to be transformed. You don't have to come to a class. You don't have to fill out an intake form. You don't have to make a bunch of changes and then come and present yourself to a pastor who declares that you're savable. You just have to believe. You just have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe that he rose from the dead. You have to believe that he's the Lord. We talked about that he is the ultimate authority of everything. You have to be willing to bring yourself into that kind of a relationship. You have to put him before all things. And that's a choice you can make now right in this moment. And you make that choice by just making a confession to him. That's what the Bible tells us in Romans 10. You may not have ever done that before, so let me give you an example. I'll make an example of that type of confession this morning, the same thing that I said to Jesus when I became a Christian. And if that's what you want to do this morning, you can just repeat this right after me, right where you're at today. Dear Jesus, I believe in you, that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross in my place to pay the price for all of my disobedience. I believe you rose from the dead and that you're alive today. I feel you drawing me to you. And I could resist you. I could ignore you. I could put you off for another day, but not today. 
today I'm coming to you. I confess you're the Lord and you're my Lord. I accept forgiveness for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Will you come and live inside of me now? Transform me. And I make a choice today to obey you. And I look forward to your best for me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.